360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. episode of Full Circle, your cultural affairs frightening radio magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I'm your host, audio desperado Ephraim Colbert, with Mr. Tales from the Hood himself, Dennis the Menace Roos. Tonight's Full Circle episode is about one of the most celebrated holidays in history, none other than Halloween. It's history, myths, cultures, monsters, creatures, and influences in our culture, music, and cinema. So don't touch that dial. Your life may literally depend on it. Welcome to Full Circle on KPFA. Tonight we will be digging deep into the spiritual world of Hallow's Eve, better known today as Halloween. We will be discussing the history of Halloween, monsters and creatures, unidentified flying objects with a new apprentice, and keeping up with current events with our coverage of the clown epidemic, plugging our nation. But first, we will have my partner in Scare, Dennis, start off with a chilling conversation on the history of Halloween. Before we play your piece, is there anything you want the audience to know, Dennis? Many people may have their ideas on the beginnings of this mysterious holiday. Next, we'll compare your ideas to the legend told throughout history. than it's ever been. Kids and adults alike try on new faces and do things they wouldn't dream of doing any other night. Participating in an ancient tradition of fear and fun that goes back at least 3,000 years, all the way to Ireland 
and its Celtic tribes who peered into the world of dark spirits on this magical night. This holiday of tricks and treats has been known to be seductive as it is scary, sparking passion and controversy wherever in the world it is celebrated. And just like the mask that children wear every October 31st, Halloween itself has worn many different faces in its enchanting 3,000-year history. The Halloween we know today started among the rocky green hills and magical landscape of Ireland. Centuries before Christianity, a tribe of warriors called the Celts lived throughout the British Isles and northern France on the rugged shores of the Irish Sea. The Celts formed an agricultural community, and like any people who lived off the earth, nature could be friend or foe. They were at the mercy of the elements, and winter was the scariest time of all for all the early Celts. At that time, what you harvested was all you had for winter, and there was no way of getting any more. As the dark days came in, you would look to the winter with a certain amount of intimidation. And it became a time when perhaps your own mortality and the mortality of your community became very relevant. As winter approached, the Celts asked their priests, known as Druids, to pray for them. And the most important night of prayer occurred late in the fall on the last day of their harvest and the first day of the dark of winter. On that night, the Celts believed that the boundary between the world of the living and the spirit world was unusually thin. So thin, the souls of the dead could roam freely back and forth to the realm of the living. That night was extremely important to the Celts. They called it Sawin. To them, Sawin represented the transition from the summer to the winter. These transitional times, the times between the light and the dark, were very magical times for the Celts. Weird things could happen at these times that wouldn't happen at any other times. On Sawin night, the Celts believed that those who died in the past year could visit the living. But not every visiting ghost was friendly, so they came up with ways to appease these spirits. To do so, Celts would parade out to the edge of their villages with offerings, trying to coax the evil forces away from their homes. They would leave food and sweets outside as gifts for the dead, a tradition that eventually became trick or treating. Celts believed that the gods controlled the sun, and their shortening day was a sign of their awesome power. So they built bonfires to honor these gods and pray for the return of the sun, to thank the earth for giving up her bounty at harvest time. The Celts offered the gods blood sacrifices, such as cows, goats, and horses. 
The animals were thrown on huge bonfires. Sour night, when the curtain into the netherworld were considered the best time to protect the future. It was said if they wanted to know who was going to live or who was going to die, or if it was a good time to move the village. They looked into the future on that night of the changing seasons when the spirits came alive and of whom might have answers. The prophecies that the druids read spread through the villages and became stories told long into the night. This is thought to be one of the origins of telling ghost stories on Halloween. The ancient Celts who walked these hills and their beliefs about the spirits of the dead and the nature's mystical powers gave us the ingredients of Halloween we know today. Soon this pagan world would have to collide with a powerful movement on the rise across the known world, one that would try to conquer everything in its path. Christianity. The early Christians believed that all the other gods and spirits the pagans worshipped were demonic and were in opposition to the world of the new Christian beliefs. Early Christians attacked the pagans. In 325, the Roman Emperor Constantine sent missionaries to save these poor pagan souls all across Europe. But the missionaries found this task not so easy. They found that the beliefs were so deep and ingrained in the culture that you could not just wipe them out. So they baptized them and sanctified them in some way or another to give them a Christian twist. But the idea that you had to wait until the next life to have a good life did not appeal to most. So the early Christians had to make the idea of Christianity more appealing to the Celts. So they basically grafted the new religion onto the old religion. The church decided to turn their most sacred holiday, Samhain, and was claimed as All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day. It was the eve of All Hallows Day that became known as Hallow's Evening. And through corruption of time, it became Halloween. The church had taken the first step in observing the pagan holiday, Samhain. But there were still many pagans who carried on the old traditions by continuing to put out offerings for the souls of the dead, pretty much doing what they have been accustomed to but now only doing it under the name Halloween. One practice that concerned the priests the most was witchcraft. Witches were assembled to the church of the very worst of paganism, especially at Samhain time. The word witch comes from the English wicca, or wise one, usually a woman and witches were long seen by the church as an unruly feminine power who tapped into the darkest aspects of Halloween. In the 1400s, church zealots hunted them down and the punishments were cruel. And as the devil's handmaidens, 
Witches were portrayed as gruesome hags bent on evil and destruction. In 1486, Pope Innocent VIII authored Amalius Malefic Autumn, a book linking witchcraft and the devil. He then outlawed the pagan Celtic religion altogether in large part of its link to witches. It seems like the presence of powerful women would have been troublesome to the Christian community and in particular to the clergy. They were dangerous and upsetting to the male chauvinist universe that only included the male, father, the son, and the Holy Ghost, but no women was welcome in the hierarchy. Witches were put on trial all over Europe, and those found guilty were hung and burned alive. In 1431, the witch hunt sweeping across Europe even claimed French heroine Joan of Arc. Even she was found guilty of witchcraft, burned alive at the stake. This girl is a witch. I demand she will burn for it. Have the stake prepared in the marketplace. She has recanted. They will execute her at once. The ideal of the witch as the embodiment of evil was so powerful that even animals associated with witches have demonic reputations. The black cats that we decorate Halloween with today came with the belief that the cat nocturnal by nature was the witch's spirit, but in animal form. In 1692, it all came to a bloody climax with the notorious Salem witch trials in which dozens of people were accused of witchcraft. In the end, 20 people were killed, 19 by hanging, and the other being crushed to death by stoning. But to most, Halloween will never be about religion or witchcraft. Come October 31st, most people are just out here looking for a good time. For kids and adults alike, Halloween above all is about fantasy, a night where death comes to life and spirits are in the air. Halloween has been called the devil's holiday by some, a night of childlike joy by others. For some, Halloween will always be a threat, but for the rest, it would be a night for fantasy and playing with the thing that scares us most. That was Dennis Roos with a tale from the hood on the legend and history of Halloween. For those of you just joining us tonight, this is our Halloween episode. Yes, it is, Adio. We'll have a lot more coming up, so please stay with us. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly... To my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. 
He did the monster mash To my love Notari in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To catch a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash They did the monster mash The zombies were having fun And a shoe The party had just begun The guests included Wolfman Dracula and his son The scene was rocking Oh, we're digging the sounds He got on chains Backed by his baying hounds The coffin bangers Were about to arrive With their vocal group The Crypt Kicker Five They played the mash They played the monster mash The monster mash And it was a graveyard smash They played the mash It's caught on in a flash They played the mash They played the monster mash Out from his coffin, Drax's voice did ring. Seems he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. It's now a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band. And my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them Boris sent Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. Yeah, John with a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. The song you just heard was Monster Mash by Bobby Pickett. And before that, we heard my co-host, Dennis the Menace, with some history on Halloween. This is a good prelude to our next segment. Dennis, what was your favorite monster as a kid? Well, Adio, for me, it was always Count Dracula. I used to love the old black and white movies where... All he had to do was look into your eyes, and that was all she wrote. But you know what? It was it was also interesting to me for how you had to invite him in before he could actually have you for dinner. Literally. Interesting. Dracula is definitely one of those iconic characters. He never did it for me, though. There's something very odd about an old man who sneaks into the bedroom of a young woman in order to seduce them for lunch. He's definitely a character that was going through many literary and cinematic changes over the years. What comes to mind for me is Interview with a Vampire. Have you seen that movie? Actually, I have. You know, um, pretty much each vampire movie Hollywood comes out, um, is, is it gives a slightly different twist, but the premise is pretty much still the same. Right? The, yeah, pretty much the the young, pretty virgin with the... And here comes Dracula sneaking up with his cape over his head. <laughs> then, gotcha. Yeah, man. Have you seen Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy? I feel like that movie is underappreciated. That's one of my favorite movies from the era of Murphy, you know? Like that uh, era of uh, Soul Glow, Coming to America, you know, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, yes, I've seen that movie. 
And you know what? I believe he was one of the most dapper vampires I've seen in film. However, it's one thing that I have with that movie. If you remember, the end, that ended with some unfinished business. Dwayne Wayne took over as the new vampire in Brooklyn, but there was never a sequel, which I'm still waiting on. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite? For me, the werewolf. Um, he was always a really attractive monster. He had the ability to hide identi his identity during the day, as well as being able to release the beast when the moon was out. Yeah, I've heard there's there's maybe a little truth to that. Weird things happen when crime rate go and the crime rate goes up, and people act mighty strange. Art imitates life, or life imitates art. Your call. Yeah, man, people have a weird relationship with the moon. If the moon can affect the tide, you can only imagine what type of effect it has on us. I think my favorite werewolf movie was An American Werewolf in London. It's about two American students taking their European backpacking trip through the UK and ends in unfortunate events. Okay, well, uh, one of my other favorites was Frankenstein. What about yours? Well, funny enough, they kind of have similar themes. Um, I like The Incredible Hulk, uh, Beast from the X-Men, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I guess I like the idea of being able to return as a regular person and not be a monster full-time. You know what I mean? Well, you know what, Adio? I don't think that's a problem. I think most of us has at least two sides to us. Well, Dennis, a hot creature feature that is taking over popular culture is zombies. And we have the pleasure of having some of our peers, J.C. Howard and Bika Arison, on our second featurette. This is an excerpt of their house-long epic, HTZ Outbreak, in which a hipster tech zombie apocalypse threatens the Bay Area. Let's take a listen. Me a zombie, me eat out your brain. Make it rain blood, me a go rain. Rain blood, me a go make it rain blood. Rain blood, me a go make it rain blood. Rain blood, me a go make it rain blood. All the bitches look glad me a run. Living dead, me a living dead. Living dead, me all living dead. Living dead, me all living dead. Oh, them is for me, eat brains instead. Eat brains that swam me survive. Eat brains at the cut of the five. Eat brains at the cut of the three. If you're living, you can't test me. Next, we sent out full circle roving reporter Sean Thornton to St. Albans Brew Pub in Oakland to get a live interview with the owner and bartender. Gage Newman, about one of the most popular celebrations in Oakland, Blood and Ales. Now, we don't do much live broadcasting here on Full Circle, so bear with us. But right now, we go out to Sean Thornton at St. Albans Brew Pub in Oakland. This is Sean Thornton, reporting from St. Albans Brew Pub in Oakland's Temescal District, the Bay Area's hottest Halloween party of the year, Blood and Ales. Looking around, we've got indie music, youngsters apathetically bopping around, thick-rimmed glasses, ironic costumes, and of course, craft beer. I'm here with Gage Newman, St. Albans owner and bartender for the evening. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. So, Gage... It seems like this fall, everyone's on a pumpkin spice kick. Pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin spice cupcakes, even pumpkin spice salmon. 
<laughs> How are you all at St. Albans? Getting in on the trend? <sighs> Pumpkin spice ale? <laughs> no, not really our style. We're more of an anti-establishment establishment. Oh, okay. <laughs> then what will you be serving tonight? Blood and ales. Blood and ales. <laughs> A little grenadine thrown in the anchor steam, eh? Classic San Francisco treat. We haven't served anchor steam since the company sold out to Fritz Maytag in 1965 and began mass producing their beer. We only serve microbrews brewed with solar and wind power from permaculture-raised, hand-picked, bicycle-delivered, fair-trade hops. As for the blood, no, it's not dye. It's blood. Human blood. Human blood. <laughs> You've got a great sense of humor, Gage. We don't use dye or artificial flavorings in our beer. Our beer is authentic and honest, and so is the blood. Calliope Jensen from local independent publishing house Nomadic Press, performed here last July. We partnered with a local Vegetable Justice Youth Project to have her perform here at the pub. She did her Menses series. It was very moving. During her poem, I Am More Than My Cycle, she bled. We captured it and brewed it into our Belgian triple mash called Menses Dementia. That's our featured cask tonight. Fascinating. And what's going on here? Well, this is interesting. I'm witnessing quite the scene here. Two, it looks like, youngsters are, well, let's just say thoroughly enjoying one another's company. Are you seeing this, Gage? Wow. Oh, wow. Is this a common occurrence here at St. Albans Brew Pub, Gage? They're on a forker date. Well, this is quite a sight. I've never seen anything quite like this before. The young man appears to be biting the young woman. They're dressed as, it looks like, Dan Aykroyd's Ghostbuster and the volleyball from Tom Hanks' film, Castaway. Really, this looks unnatural. Gage, he's biting her face off. This is frightening, folks. Are you hearing this? He just took a chunk out of her cheek and it doesn't appear to be a stun. Sean, Sean. You're biting? Yes, sometimes that's... Can you that hear happens. us, Sean? You've heard of Folsom Street Fair? That's funny, Gage, yes, but this doesn't look like your run-of-the-mill S&M scenario. He just took a chunk out of her arm. Is Sean, this performance get out of Is this real? This is too honest. This is too realistic. Vika, JC, oh my God! What's going on, Sean? Sean! Stay with us, Sean. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA. Back to you in the studio, JC and Vika. We'll be updating you as this madness unfolds. Sean, Sean, are, are you there? Oh my gosh. What? Hello, Sean. Can you hear us?
back to Full Circle 94.1 KPFA. Thank you, JC and Vika, for your contribution to tonight's show. They were from Group 40, Kumba Voices, and that was a small excerpt from their epic tale, HTZ, Outbreak, which aired as our Halloween show last year. Yes, thank you so much. Our music break was Salem with their song, Red Lights. Salem is a band I first caught live in 2010 at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. They are one of the original innovators of the genre of music known as Witch House. At first glance, I wasn't all that impressed, but they definitely grew on me. I found them to be very appropriate for tonight's show. Oh, why was that, Audio? Well, Witch House is a dark music genre, gathering themes from occultism, electronic, chopped and screwed hip-hop, soundscapes. Well, you know what? Maybe I've been hiding under a rock. But working on this show is the first time I've listened to Salem. And you know what? They actually sound pretty good. Right, right. Well, on a separate note, are you a fan of clowns? Well, I used to like Bozo the Clown when I was young. But as an adult, you know, I've kind of lost interest. Bozo the Clown? Man, that's old school. Do you remember Homie the Clown? Yes. Homie the Clown. Don't mess around. Or Piao, sock to the cr- sock to the crown. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, I don't know if you heard about the clown epidemic, but our next segment covers what's been happening all over the United States. I have a red nose, big shoes, brightly colored or torn clothing. I enjoy packing into a tiny car, or occasionally pieing people in the face. What am I? As a kid, these were the symbolic symbols and gestures of a clown I was familiar with. The clown provided me toys with every Happy Meal and was always present at parties. It wasn't until Stephen King's It that I started to become familiar with an evil, sinister side of this beloved character. We can't talk clowns in fear without mentioning Pennywise. He fed on your fear, would play with your mind, had the ability to transform into a familiar family member, or your worst nightmare, and was only visible to children. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you going to say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? Would be a resurgence of clowns as evil or sinister characters 
Within American popular culture, the mid to late 90s saw a resurgence of clown-like music groups, including Insane Clown Posse and members of Slipknot wearing clown masks, and in comics of anti-hero Spawn, Violator, the most powerful of five hellborn demons, who would later be played by John Leguizamo in the 1997 film. Years later, there is a resurgence of creepy clowns appearing in parks in the middle of the night, near elementary schools, hiding in bushes, hanging out near interstates, and doing whatever it takes to scare people. But first tonight, creepy clown sightings are happening across the country, including here in the metro, and it is no laughing matter. The clowns are popping up all over the country, frightening neighborhoods and families, and now some sightings have been reported in New Mexico, and the hysteria is spreading on social media. Two Albuquerque women who've spent more than 50 years of combined experience being clowns say this is not good for their business. Clowns are now terrorizing San Diego, new at 6 o'clock. 10 News reporter Joe Little was the only TV reporter to track down the Cali Killer Clowns, and surprisingly, they say they're not the ones to fear. Ronald McDonald, the gentle red-haired mascot for the nation's largest fast food chain, is now cutting back on his schedule. In a statement, McDonald says it's mindful of the current climate around clown sightings in communities and is being thoughtful in respect to Ronald McDonald's participation in community events for the time being. It's the month of October. It's time to get scared a little bit. A little bit for some. For others, this is an absolute nightmare. We've been doing this for three days. Welcome to the Cali Kill a Clown Lair. It's actually an attic, but I can't tell you where, and I have to disguise the voices of Clinky, Squints, and the ringleader, Chuckles. Why not go with it and have some fun with it? This isn't exactly everyone's definition of fun. You're scaring people. Not so much as scaring people, but we're walking around taking pictures. If they happen to see us and get scared, and there's nothing we can do about that. Chuckles says they started earlier this week in National City. And the next night we went to Imperial Beach, and then just last night we went to Eastlick to Proctor Valley Road and left a mask on the so-called devil tree. You realize that people think you're bad. Yeah, absolutely, but I'm not. In this new wave of social media and prank culture, I wonder if the clown is an effective, fearful character because it translates across the board as something to fear by Generation Xers and Millennials as young as 13. I decided to interview an elementary school student and his mom, Armand and Selma Rasa, on their take on this clown epidemic. Three and a half weeks ago, they kind of made an announcement to be like more safe around the... Um, the doors of the school and then they and then what the what the school did was they spray painted a red line like around five feet away from the door and like maybe five or six feet away from the door and said you can't go past that it's uh, like creating safe you, zone yeah, for the kids you can't go past that Line unless you're with your parents or like another court, another coach or principal or whatever. I found it interesting that Armand's school had decided to create safety zones 
as a response to the clown epidemic. Armand's mom didn't take this epidemic seriously, that is, until receiving a letter from the school and the police department on safety. Here she describes the warnings issued. Just to be careful and to talk, you know, inform our kids how to be more safe, especially around Halloween, people dress up. So if they see someone uh, dressed up as a clown and acting weird or coming to the, their campus, not to go with them and think they're friendly just because they look like clowns. That's it. I think it started maybe as a serious thing. Otherwise, it won't have been nationwide. But I feel there is a lot of copycats now. People just trying to be like funny and, or I don't know, play prank on other friends and stuff. And they took it to another level. So it's kind of confusing. Hearing Selma's initial concerns, I wonder how she felt about the school's safety measures. Uh, school did really good job at communicating with parents and letting, letting them know what was happening and uh, also explaining the safety, extra safety measures that they are taking in keeping the school safe by, you know, making sure all the, the exits are locked and um, making the community involved to um, let uh, the staff know if they see any stranger or any strange activities around campus. And I think that's the key, just communicating and letting people know what's going on so that way they're not afraid or, you know, tricked or whatever the case may be. Yeah. With all the safety concerns and precautions being taken, I wonder if the clown issue would have any impact on Armand's trick-or-treating as well as the trick-or-treating of other kids in the Bay Area during Halloween. Yeah, I'll just be a little more careful. And I'm always there. <laughs> I told him he's gonna, if he's gonna be like a hot dog, I'll just grab my little hot dog and run. <laughs> no, we'll be fine. I mean, we go to the neighborhood. People should not let this kind of thing ruin their fun. You know, there is always... Yeah, just be a little yeah. more careful and like, yeah. if there's an like, adult clown like following you, you just have to yeah. kind of go to where most people are. I think it's safe to say that Armand and his mom, as well as other Bay Area kids and their parents, will be trick-or-treating this year. I think the lesson for us to take from this romanticized crisis is not to let the news, social media pranksters, and bizarre adults stop you from having a good time this Halloween. Be safe, everyone. For those of you just tuning in, tonight's Full Circle is our Halloween episode. Well, thank you for sharing that story, that story, Adio. It'll be interesting to see if people will or will not be dressed as clowns this Halloween. Well, it's hard to say, but for those kids out there, be sure to stay away from any adults dressed as clowns this year. <laughs> Definitely. That clown epidemic is something to look out for. And uh, I just wonder what this world is coming to. I don't know, man. It's like we're in a weird, bad 80s horror movie, like Killer Clowns from Outer Space or something. Uh, and you know what, Adio? I, I hate to admit it, but actually, I saw that movie, and, and, and it wasn't an accident. It was a planned event. Like, For I real? popped popcorn and everything. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, uh, that's great, because our next piece involves a topic that is out of this world, UFOs. AKPFA audience, this is Audio Desperado, bringing you some information unexplained. 
For decades, Puerto Rico has been a hotbed of UFO sightings, similar to that of my home, New Mexico. I recently spoke with current KPFA apprentice, Laura, who grew up and went to college in Puerto Rico and has witnessed this for herself. Thank you for joining us, Laura. Thank you for having me. We are in the month of October, uh, and this is our Halloween special. I thought it would be appropriate, since it is the Halloween special, to kind of talk about things that are unexplained, or I guess what would be considered phenomenon. And with that being said, one of the phenomenons that you have some familiarity with is uh, UFOs. Yes. It's not that I've seen them face to face, but I, they kind of follow me around. Yes, kind of weird things happen. And there's a lot of talk about UFOs, extraterrestrial beings, and even underground bases in Puerto Rico. Yeah, and I find that really interesting and fascinating. Personally, myself, I'm from New Mexico. There's also the stories of what had happened in Roswell on the Air Force Base during the early 50s. Yes. It's also a space where you are able to see for miles when you are looking up into the sky. There are things that I have seen that, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily be able to identify with what it is that didn't necessarily appear to look like a comet. Yeah, I'm familiar with that yeah. <laughs> experience. So how is it for you in uh, Puerto Rico? Well, I've seen things that I cannot explain, that, you know, lights in the sky. Even one day I was seeing a cigar shape object in the sky going from one side of the sky to the next one and it was an orange color and it was completely silent and this is right next to the airport because I used to live I don't know five miles away from the airport so there was no place for that to be there in the sky at that time of day but again it's something that you think about in is not going to come up in the news. But then you just walk around Puerto Rico and relate to people, make friends, and they're going to tell you. That's, that's my experience. I've run into many, many people who had so many weird things happen to them, including far out things. Like they came into my bedroom and pointed an object like a flashlight into my body and totally paralyzed me. One thing that I'm kind of curious about is you did mention the underground bases. Yes. And it made me think, you know, I moved to New Mexico because my dad was in the Air Force. And then he ended up retiring there. What is the relationship between the military and Puerto Rico? Is there a relationship? Oh, that's the reason, that number one reason that uh, the U.S. is in Puerto Rico. If you look at the island of Puerto Rico on the map, you will see that is the farthest into the Atlantic Ocean. There is the closest one uh, to Africa, Europe, and the rest of the world on that side. That little island is, is the size of the Bay Area. And they have five military bases in Puerto Rico. They had, for the longest time, the largest military base in the world. It was in Puerto Rico. So you figure... Yeah, wow. The relationship with that and extraterrestrials is something that is really interesting. Do you feel like there might be some relationship between creation of modernized weapons 
and extraterrestrials? Well, that's what it's been circulating around. I have no way to confirm that, of course, because I haven't done the investigation myself, but I read enough to suspect, let's just say, I have strong suspicions that, yes, it's been um, connected in some way. Many areas that I used to go and enjoy when I was a little girl, they're no longer accessible to people anymore. Um, and then there's also the many, many stories about people who've seen the big, the short guys with the big heads and the big eyes and sometimes in, in gray color, sometimes in green. Just walking around there, there's stories about people seeing flying objects coming out of the mountain or going into the mountain. They don't need to go find stories anywhere else in the world. They, we have enough material to write a monthly magazine just from the stuff in Puerto Rico. Wow. You also have with you today um, an email that you had received from some family members. Yes. This actually happened about two weeks ago. There was a major blackout. A major blackout? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, in Puerto Rico for a couple of days for some people. So there was a lot of opportunity to look at the sky. And my father, my brother, and my mother went to, just for fun, look at the sky. And that's when they discovered this object that appeared to make movements that were not any way attributed. Uh, you cannot attribute them to an airplane. Uh, uh, and it was completely silent. It was very, very strange behavior. If you don't mind, if we could have you go ahead and um, read some of the email. So it says, Comenzó cuando Pancho nos invitó a que, aprovechando la oscuridad del apagón, nos pusiéramos a ver las estrellas. Ahí mismo dijo, mientras miraba para el cielo, Mira, ¿qué será aquella luz azul arriba, casi en el cenit, un poquito hacia el sureste y bien alto que prende y apaga? Ahí fue que la vi, parpadear regularmente y sin moverse lateralmente. Al principio era del tamaño de una estrella grande, pero rápidamente aumentó su tamaño, lo que atribuyó la impresión, lo que atribuyó a la impresión de que estaba bajando casi verticalmente. Cuando alcanzó la altura a la que usualmente viajan los helicópteros y las avionetas, pude darme cuenta que no era ninguna estrella y sí un objeto que exhibió ante nuestra total y cautivada atención estas cualidades. He's saying that they were watching the sky and right from the start they saw an, something that looked like a bright star and it was blinking and emitting blue light. And this object became bigger because it looked like it was coming straight down from very high in the sky to a much lower height. So it became bigger and then they, when it was big enough, they could start to make up some features of the object. Like there was some curves to it. There was some concave shapes into it. And the light was not coming from a particular point like, you know, you could see on an airplane, you will see, okay, but these are the lights, but like the side of the object was glowing. So, and then it proceeds to talk about how it moved into the sky and basically says that it made 
turns and and that were like a right angle turns or movements that you can never attribute to an airplane or a helicopter and it was completely silent. So these things continue to happen. Are they related to the military? They could be. Again, we will have to do the investigation ourselves to to find out and I have I mean, my experience is that if you try to investigate things like that, you're going to go up against a lot of resistance. We're coming to the end of our show, but I feel it wouldn't be appropriate to end the show without sharing some Halloween stories or ghost stories with our audience. Do you have any stories to share, Dennis? Well, you know what, Adio? I'm, I'm glad you asked because I have something that I've been had bottled up inside of me for a long time. Um, it was, uh, I was actually like 10 years old. So this had to be like, you know, 87. And I was, we were, we were actually poor back then, believe it or not. So we was growing up poor in Richmond. So, uh, at 10 years old, you know, everyone, every child already knows what he wants to be for Halloween. So... You know, weeks before, you know, all the kids are talking and we're, you know, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm going to be this. And so coming up, like, days before, like, I'm really getting worried, like, because my grandmother doesn't have anything and I'm looking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking around, like, you know, it's days coming up, it's days coming up. Like, I'm looking around, like, whoa, what are we going to do? You know, (laughs) I'm under a lot of pressure here, 10 years old, that's a lot of pressure. So my grandmother, uh, bless her soul. We like I want to uh, reiterate, poor. I mean, like government cheese, peanut butter poor. So her, in her infinite wisdom, she comes up with a bright idea. She grabs for <laughs> me <laughs> a cowboy hat. Okay, we had a cape. I don't know where it came from, but it was a cape. <laughs> Okay, and her some oversized cowboy boots that she was gonna put on me, and I was gonna be, and in, in, in her in her mind, I was gonna I was dressed up, I was decked out, and I was gonna be a character called uh, Black Bart. <laughs> <laughs> I I never knew who that was, but you know what? I didn't want to be Black Bart, so I refused to I refused to do the parade. I didn't know, mother, grandmother, no. So you know what? I cried. We didn't do the parade. We went home. I slammed my door, and and that was it for the for the uh, for that Halloween. <laughs> so parents, please take your children's wish, wish, uh, wishes seriously. All right. So my story is more of a ghost story. Um, so my dad was in the military. He was in the Air Force. We were stationed in the the UK in Bedfordshire, and there was an abbey on the base, and it was a historic abbey where people would take tours. There was tour guides, and it's also where we had a lot of our special events. I mean, I never really went in there except for one day for a school dance, and I remember prior to that there was always this rumor, "Oh, that place is haunted. It's haunted." I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. You know, I'm going to this dance. I'm 10 years old, boys to men. You know, I want to get down. So, you know, we're all dancing on the dance floor. 
There's a grand piano as you walk into the front hall of this abbey. And suddenly the piano starts playing really loud, like over the music. And, you know, I didn't notice it at first, but I start to see some of the adults head towards the hallway. And then it sounds like banging, like someone's banging on the piano. I'm like, man, what's going on? So at first I thought, well, maybe it's like, you know, a kid messing around or playing around. Um, and it had the appearance of one of those electronic pianos. Everyone had it was under the assumption that it was an electronic piano. And uh, we head on over there. There's no one there. I remember the teacher was searching for a cord to unplug it. And there was no cord. The mm. piano was playing on its own. Yeah. I mean, that was something that has stayed with me to this day. Um, True but, you know, when you're a kid, you think that you make up these things, you know? So I went ahead and decided to look it up just to see if this was actually a reality or just my mind. And so I went to eerieplace.com and I searched uh, Chicksands Abbey. It pulled up the Priory and it had all the details of those events happening there. So um, that kind of brings us to the end of our Halloween show. Uh, the executive producer for Full Circle is Miss M. Our technical director is Free Will and Franklin. Joy Moyer is our production consultant. We've been your host, Audio Desperado. And I'm Mr. Tales from the Hood himself, Dennis the Menace Roos. Thanks to David De La Grande on the board. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Be sure to tune in next week here on KPFA. Now stay tuned to La Onda Baita. We'll be ending the show with a special message from Vincent Price. falls across the land the midnight hour is close at hand creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize y'all's neighborhood and whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell the demons squeal in sheer delight. It's you they spy, so plump, so right. For though the groove is hard to beat, yet still you stand with frozen feet. You try to run, you try to scream, but no more sun you'll ever see. For evil reaches from the crypt to crush you in its icy grip.